Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect your children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family. I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, Enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Byron Rogers here, hanging for another episode of the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. And I got buddy Caleb Gilbert here hanging with us today. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Dude, I'm glad to have you on. It's an honor. It is an honor. Um our paths cross like I feel like our paths cross like briefly, like way back in the day, like we were like two ships passing in the night, <laughs> you know. Yep. And I had no idea who you are or what you've done at that point, you know, when I first started hearing about you. But it's it's good to hear that you've done so much for the industry, you know, just in general. It's been a fun ride for sure. For Thank sure, you, man. <laughs> no, that's what's up. And a lot of people that I really respect respect you too. So it's like. Okay, there's a no-brainer, man. I got to – eventually, when the time is right, we got to catch back up and see if I can get him on the show, man. So I'm glad this is happening for Definitely. sure. So as we jump right into it, my man, you know, it's funny because I ask all these questions, but these first couple of, like, personal questions tend to be the most kind of, like, interesting or even sometimes hard for people to answer, you know. But who would you say you are at your core? At my core – you know, as corny as it sounds to say a protector. Yeah. Really from an early age, uh-huh. uh, I had the protective instincts, you know, growing up, you know, in a, in a tough neighborhood, tough, tough, tough environment. I always had the urge to protect, you know, those around me. And, and I can think of a story when I think I was eight years old in this high school where I was messing with my brother who was, you know, 18 months older than me. And he was playing a prank on him and, and, you know, the prank ended up with, with this high schooler smashing an egg over the back of my brother's head and all of his buddies just started. Oh, like, heck no. <laughs> I walked across the alley, picked up a two by four and smacked him upside the head. <laughs> you don't mess with my brother, you know? Yeah, man. Heck yeah. And that's me at an early age, you know, the earliest I can remember, you know, of, of the foundations of, of, you know, who I, who I was, who I started as, and that has definitely evolved over the years, you know, with the different iterations and seasons in life and seasons in the industry and, and all that has, has developed and grown from a two by four. <laughs> from a two by four. I love that. It's like, it's like, yeah, man, it's like that Tupac poem, the rose that grows from concrete, but, uh, <laughs> but so true. I, uh, I, I find that interesting, man, that like a whole career a whole lifestyle so much can grow out of like this urge that so much of us have at such a young age you know what i mean Mm. yeah 
Cause we, you know, like with all the guys I talked to, you know, a lot of the guys at the top of the game and that are really, really doing a lot for the industry. I hear the same thing. Like they're like, bro, back in grade school, you know, like, or, you know, I, I just, this is just who I am. It's what I do. It's, you know, it's always been more than a job. And then like for a lot of us, as we kind of evolve into these positions and end up having to deal with the full spectrum of the client offering that we do have in the industry, you know, I, I feel like having a deep seated urge to be a protector kind of helps just keep you grounded amongst all the different directions things can go, you know? Definitely, definitely. You know, saying that it's a lifestyle, not a job. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say that, but I don't know if, if people really grasp the full understanding of of how that really impacts the day-to-day, you know, ops, especially as you've been in the industry for a while, you know, you find out whether or not it is a lifestyle for you and whether you can hang with it. Yeah, that's the truth, man. Because when you're sitting at the table and talking with dudes who've been in this game, like, I mean, I don't want to get, I don't, I, we're just beginning this interview. <laughs> you know, like, you know, as well as I do, our lives revolve around what we do. And if it wasn't us organically, like, this is the type of man I am anyway, you'll yep. be a lot of friction, man. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. A lot, man. That's funny. Yep. That's good to go, man. I dig that. Um, so how'd you get into the game? How'd you get into private security and all that fun stuff? Well, first security gig I worked was uh, when I was part of a search and rescue team in 1996. Parking lot, parking lot security, just watching cars for for people at an event, and uh, that was that was my first foray into security. About Thank as you. boring of an 18 hour day as is you know I would ever get. Yeah. But that's that's where I, you know, remembered it. And it was actually it was actually at that event that I had a conversation with another of uh, the guys that was on the search and rescue team with me. And he was talking about, you know, the school in Aspen, Colorado, ESI, where, you know, everybody goes and they learn all these skills and, and how they get to, exactly they get to go live this exciting lifestyle, you know. And for me, you know, a guy who. Quit school at 13 because, you know, my family, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't afford the socks that I wanted to buy. You know, I was 11 years old. I wanted to buy Nike socks and Nike socks. (laughs) (laughs) My family couldn't afford it. So I decided to go out and start working. And so I started uh, my own business and, and that, that urge to move forward, you know, from coming from, from nothing, if you will, uh, really is what what grew into my desire to to pursue when he mentioned you know executive protection i was like wow that's interesting that's awesome man and were you doing this search and rescue mission or job out of just out of necessity making money and then something about you kind of hooked that was that was a yeah that was a training opportunity so so we did search and rescue training and and you know land search and rescue, uh, air search and rescue. And then, and then actually went to Miami and interned with national Academy of police divers doing underwater search and recovery. And it was actually there that I met the first EP agents that I'd ever met because we were doing PT one morning and Mm -hmm. out in a park. And there were these guys that worked at corporate detail there in Miami and they started talking about the lifestyle. And, you know, I had always been interested in military or law enforcement yeah. But it never quite clicked for me as far as that was the direction I wanted to pursue. 
And, mm-hmm. and these, these corporate EP guys were talking about, you know, travel and, you know, firearms oh, yeah. training. And I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. And that's really when I started to pursue ESI. And, and at the time, you know, ESI was, was this distant goal that, you know, I'd never be able to afford in my life. Yeah. Uh, and it took me until took me a solid five years before I could get there, but I made it. <laughs> what would you say about ESI training? Like I, I would love to do something, train with them, understand their way, you know, um, what would you say about them? What was it like going to their school? I imagine you did all that. Yep. Yep. ESI for me was, was transformational. I mean, it, it okay. really, it took, it took a kid from, from Washington state that had no bearing of what EP was or what the lifestyle was like. I had, you know, these images in my mind that you see in the movies and that was it. Uh, it took, it took that and it started to develop an understanding of, of what it would take for me to develop the skills that I would need over the course of my career. And I think, I think that's an important understanding for any EP school, you know, coming from an instructor perspective, a student perspective, understanding that you're not necessarily going to learn everything from any single EP school. Right. But it's going to give you a vision of where you can develop and grow and that foundation that you can build from, you know, it's the, it's the platform that launched my career and I'll always be grateful, you know, to, to Bob and Fonda and, you know, the entire cadre of, of instructors who, you know, helped me launch into a career that uh, is taking me some crazy places. Heck yeah, man. And that's, you know, like I, uh, I really appreciate hearing you say that. Cause I, I currently or recently went through, um, I've gone through a few like schools and I recently went through with EPI and I think one of the major things that I was thinking the whole time was like, yo, is this going to be relevant? Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause one of them I went through and I was like, "Mm, some of that was relevant, but I wouldn't, if I hadn't had experience, I wouldn't be walking away from this experience of training with an accurate understanding of what it's going to take to be successful in the EP industry. You know what I mean? Maybe a state department detail or something like this, but how relevant, you know what I mean? So I'm glad to hear you say that um, about EPI, man, you know? Yeah, it, it really, you know, a lot of people, when it comes to schools, it, it used to be that you had ESI on the West Coast, EPI on the East Coast, you know, never the two shall meet, you know, and then there was this rivalry between, you know, NLA and the ESI Alumni Association type of thing. Yeah. And, and I have close, close buddies on on both spectrums and, mm-hmm. you know, respect the living daylights out of out of everybody. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people like to bring the haterade about different schools, you know, oh, this school's better than this school, you know, it's like, it's like jujitsu versus Muay Thai or something. It's like, guys, guys, exactly. do your thing, study it all, you know? And they're so focused on the rivalry. Yeah. One of the core principles that has, that has guided me throughout my career is try Mm -hmm. to learn something new from someone every (laughs) single day. And <laughs> yeah, right. it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, exactly. It doesn't matter if that's the janitor. It doesn't matter if that's the DL. It doesn't matter if that's the principal. Right. We are in amazing places with amazing people. And if you're, if you're going to EP school and you're like, oh, this EP school is, is better than this EP school, you're, you're missing, missing the, whole thing. the opportunity. <laughs> because I'll guarantee you, 
there were nuggets that if yep. you're focused on, oh, my school's better than your school, you're not picking up those nuggets. Right. And really, that is the difference between gleaning the useful principles that can make the difference of, of success and failure on a future detail yeah. that I think a lot of people underestimate. Nah, 100%, bro. You said it perfectly. I'm the same way, man. Like, the cup is always at least half empty. I'm here to learn anything I can. I'm the same way, man. And, like, the rivalries, and so, it's like, because also I posted something. This is a crack here. So I posted, like, a picture of me there at EPI. And I got, like, four <laughs> yeah. other videos of ESI all over my, like, exactly <laughs> lifestyle thing. I was like, whoa. Like, I was like, I hit a pain point, like I tap into something. I'm just saying, man, I'm trying to get some training. We're doing some cool things. It's tight, you know? Oh, exactly. um, and I, I noticed really quick that haterade you were talking about. I was like, right? this, this, it's a real thing. All right, whatever. Well, um, and it boils down to one of the core things that you see in the industry time and time again is that is people like what they know. They yeah. understand where they came from. And a lot of people let, let that dictate where they're going, how they operate in the future, you know, yeah, where I think that there's value in, in saying, this is where I came from. I learned from this school. I learned from this school. I'm going to take the information that I learned from both of them, combine them together, and then right. move forward. Because protection today, especially coming from a guy like me to where this is all I've ever done in my adult life. You know, protection yeah, yeah. 20 years ago was not what it was 10 years ago. It was not what it was five years ago. And it's growing. Anybody that goes to Silicon years. Valley today knows that it's certainly not what it's going to be tomorrow. It is evolving. It's rapidly changing. And unless we're gleaning the skills that we need to develop into the agents of tomorrow, you're falling behind the guy next to you. Yeah. You really legitimately are. That's so the game, man. Like <laughs> now this thing's evolving quickly. The world, even the, the enemies are evolving quickly. Yep. The technological threats are evolving quickly. Man, they showed us a case where um, an aggressor used the reflections in the eyes of uh, a celebrity that, that he was stalking to yes. figure out what, what, where right. she was and make moves on her and, you know, and cause a problem and breach security. Right. And I think he sexually assaulted her. And who would have guessed? <laughs> right. Yeah, man. That's so that's a security breach. Like, what is going on? Yeah, right. so there's the game is changing. I guess we say all this to say, don't get cemented in some doctrine, dogma, or anything. You know, absorb what's useful, disregard what's useless, add what's essentially your own. And at the end of the day, try to be the type of guy that can kill your clone. Tom Kyer dropped this on me, man. It's been going. I've been. I, I haven't been able to. It's like my favorite saying of the month. I was. I, I asked it. him. I was like, "What?" Somewhere in the interview, I was asked him, "Like, so what's kind of your thing?" And he's like, "At the end of the day, I want to be a little bit smarter, stronger, something, and I want to be able to say I could kill my clone. If, I, if my clone from yesterday came at me, I need to be able to deal with them." And I was like, "This is good. <laughs> this is Solid. good." Solid. <laughs> heck yeah, man! I'm glad we got to touch on that. That's what's up. Um, okay. So you got into protection, you got into that gig and then that guy you hyped on the industry and then you eventually made your way, um, into EPI and the rest is history or ESI. Yeah. ESI. Sorry. Yep. Yep. The rest is history. Um, go ahead. Yeah. From there for the next seven years, I didn't say no to a single detail. I, I moved wherever I had to move. I worked for eight bucks an hour, I worked for 75 bucks an hour, the full spectrum. I would work for 36 hours straight. Didn't matter 
what the gig was, you know, started out guarding dumpsters and evolved over the years to guarding the people that put the trash in those dumpsters. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, literally one of my first companies in Hollywood was guarding the dumpster at the back of a wedding of a very well-known celebrity. Yeah. And they wanted to make sure that there was no sensitive information that the paparazzi could glean from that trash. And I was yep. like, what kind of a nonsense gig is this? I'm getting paid to stand, whatever, I'll do it, you know? Yeah. And and that started it, you know? But they knew that they could count on me for that post. And that evolved later on into, you know, bigger and better things. An opportunity, man. And I, I, that's one of the themes we see, you know, people are always hitting me up. Yo, how do I get in the industry? And I'm like, bruh. Go find all the local security uh, companies around you. Go on. Now there's these big companies that you can get on with, AS Solutions and all these different ones, uh, and apply for everything. Try to get feedback as to why you weren't picked. And if you got your local security companies, get on and work everything. (laughs) And prove to them that they can count on you. And when they get a shot, they're going to give it to you. Or you'll work your way up to the higher quality stuff they got, you know? Oh, exactly. Realizing that it's not about us, right? When I was looking to try to break into the industry, none of my conversations with any of the decision makers centered around me. I'd answer their questions, but I would ask them questions, pointed questions as far as what do you need? What do you need from a person to fill this position? And Mm -hmm. that allowed me to shape my performance based on what they wanted and if you're feeling the need of a guy who's who's scrambling to fill a detail, then why wouldn't they want to give you bigger and better things? Heck yeah. You start making plays for them, man. They're going to put you in. You know, like that. Be, be dependable. Yeah. yeah. No, that's it, man. I've seen some guys I didn't even think were marketable that I couldn't even. Like, I didn't, guys. Like, I, I got some guys a shot, and I was like, I don't know if he's going to make it. But he said yes to everything. And then, you know, next thing you know, I, I got a guy right now I'm sitting there thinking of. I'm like, man, is he marketable? But he's so, such a hard worker, humble and dependable. Done. He's yep. doing good, you know. So I love it. There's no and I have people nonstop telling me you're never going to make it. You don't have any military experience. You don't have any law yeah. enforcement experience. And this is all, you know, right pre 9-11, 9-11, right after, you know, so in those years kind of. where it was very heavy, especially in the LA scene, everybody was, yeah. was law enforcement because that's what you had to do to get your CCW, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was the golden ticket. That was what everybody wanted, you know? And I said, all right, well, I know what I'm not, but I'm going to focus on filling the needs that I can with whom I am, you know? And rather than letting it hold me back, which it very well could have, because it it held Mm -hmm. back a lot of my buddies who tried, you know, Mm -hmm. but focusing on what you can do, what needs you can fill for the, for the, you know, DL client, whomever is is key. It's clutch. Yo, it's like that equalizer quote. You got to be who you are in this world, man. You got to, you know, and and that's, 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 that's a hundred percent correct, man. That's good advice. Even for me, like, you know, uh, that that's always been kind of my my thing like you know you see somebody else the, the problem is you see other people do it you know you see that military guy or that cop guy and you're like wow you know and then you get sucked into like trying to be them but you're not right. them so it's inauthentic <laughs> and it's not powerful and it's kind of like people are like you like stop that and yep. it's really just uncharismatic and attractive and if you're just like yo this is me i'm this and i can and i'll give you my best and i'll do my best from this spot you know then, you know, it's just more powerful. It's more authentic. It goes farther. And everyone's, people are natural psychologists. So they feel that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. 
Intuition is a crazy thing. <laughs> yeah, man. So then tactical background, brother. I love this part. What's your tactical background? I have no tactical background. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. <laughs> that's beautiful, man. Because I have people hit me with the same thing. They're like, yo, you know, like, can I do this? Like, you know, I'm not a police officer or military. I'm like, bro, like, dude, brought me into this whole thing was a civilian. Like, a lot of the best dudes I've ever worked with are just civilians. Now, this means you have less ego and, like, less things you think you know to get over in order to just do a good job at the customer service and all the other things that are required, you know? But anyways, what would you say about your background, man? Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, the the amazing thing about the industry as a whole is it is evolving, right? Yeah. And with that evolution, it creates opportunities that have never been seen before. The Mm -hmm. traditional need for people who used to do something – who are now in the industry, you know, used to be FBI, used to be State Department, and now they're an EP. That need is is always going to be there, right? Because those are those are legitimate skills, legitimate backgrounds that are well respected and and needed, you know. But especially with Silicon Valley and a lot of a lot of different principles, the needs to have a different viewpoint also exists, you know? And a lot of people with the tactical backgrounds, like, like you're talking about that are able to evolve into the private sector from their previous industries. Yeah. Super useful, super, super, you know, big asset to the industry. Some people just can't make that transition. They're so used to doing what they used to do that they tried, try to fit a, you know, round peg into a square hole. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, right. To where my, my background is the industry. My background is adapting and mitigating risk based on the current environment. That environment might be high risk. It might be low risk. It might be, you know, perceived no risk, but mitigating whatever it might be and providing value to the protectee or the organization, depending on you know, who your target is, that is what uh, I think has been kind of a staple of of my input to the industry because I'm always looking to be useful. I'm always looking to be relevant because I've seen the life cycle of security in the industry to where 9-11 happens, everybody, you know, reacts, they spin up a big team, nothing happens for a while. And then they look at it and they say, hey, we're spending way too much money on this. And then they cut everybody <laughs> on the team and everybody's out of a job, right? Yeah, right. And I'd rather take a look at it and I'd rather say, all right, we know that the, the life cycle of security happens, right? So let's take a look and figure out what is the goal. And this is what developed my my three you know principles that I've lived by for a long time. Okay. But identify the expectation, right? What is it that the organization or the principal needs, right? Okay. And, yeah. and that has to be a brutally honest conversation with the protectee, with the DL, whoever the decision maker is, identify mm-hmm. what it is that is expected of you. Okay. And, and that, is, that is the number one reason why I've seen details fail over, over the last you know, years is because they didn't effectively identify what it is that is expected of them. That's the savage. That I always try to do. I'm taking is, notes. That's all this is, right? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Is document the expectation. Right. Uh-huh. There, everything, everything can get lost in translation. The telephone game is prevalent in the industry. The principal tells the, the CSO, the CSO tells the detail leader, the detail leader tells the agents. And all of a sudden 
the agents are doing something that's not in line with what what the principal wants, right? Over here now, yeah. Exactly. So being able to align the expectations of the principal with the documented documented expectations for those who will actually be doing the work, having that alignment is clutch. And then, or maybe the principal didn't identify it properly. So like a year or six months later, they're like, why are these guys doing this? And you're like, well, sir, ma'am. Exactly. (laughs) our understanding. We wrote it down right here, you know? And and they're like, let me me modify this. Things have changed. And you're like, I would love for that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We are the subject matter experts in EP, not the principal, right? Right. We shouldn't be bringing them questions. We should be bringing them solutions. Mm -hmm. And so identifying what they want and how that will translate to actual day-to-day on the ground ops is something that far too many people overlook and they assume, oh, the principal wants what I have. Well, it might not be the case. You can't always get a full written SOP for every details, especially ad hoc details, especially, you know, spin up details. details, Working to align those two is huge, you know? That is huge, man. And then when it comes to, to, you know, long-term details, especially number three is enforce those expectations. Huh. So, you know, walk softly, but carry a big stick is, is one of the, one of the sayings that my client always used to say, I, I forget MacArthur or somebody that originally yeah. said it, but one of the OGs said it first, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and having that enforcement mechanism in place to make sure that the people on the ground know that this is the expectation. These are the ramifications. If they're not, if the expectations are not met, is actually uh, a big area that I failed in my manage- in my early management days was not having that expectation of this will be enforced. This is the expectation. This will be enforced because this is what the principal wants. You know, and then what that does is that eliminates the middleman, right? Ambiguity and the exactly, all the gray trash. exactly because we have enough ambiguity we have enough gray area in day-to-day ops right yeah you have a plan the plan is going to change but working to actually have at least the core guidelines that those in the field can follow is Mm -hmm. is tremendously important from my opinion that's awesome advice that advice is like dudes better be taking hey if you're listening to this, <laughs> that right there, oh man, like I, there's an example of this that dudes do that's in my head, but like, I forget where in psychology this is, but it's, yeah, man, you identify that expectation, like shut your mouth until you know what somebody wants. Like, like if you don't know what they want, you don't have you don't have like a case to build. You have nothing, <laughs> you know? So nope. this whole like, nope. I'm the professional, they want what I have. Honestly, man, I've seen it cost people millions of dollars in details. Like I've literally watched service providers like come incorrect to clients for extended periods of time and lose the account. And I was just sitting there, I'm sitting there like, hey man, like, you know, like they just don't want to do it this way. And they're like, nah, you know, like we got to make sure, you know, like, and then I've seen people lose a lot. And then this whole document and that document expectation is like ultra important for so many reasons, but it protects the agents and it protects the clients. And it just, it gives you straight lines, you know what I'm saying? And then the enforce the expectation, man, I think that that, I think that really probably contributes heavily to unit cohesion because it's exactly. 
is the standard. Plus, it gives them that confidence that what they're doing is meeting the the client's expectations. So what I've found is having that enforcement mechanism in place prevents it from needing to be used. Which Otherwise, you have the ambiguity. And then exactly. dudes are messing up and the client's like, yep. yo, how come you dudes over here doing this weirdness? And then you got to like have all, you're always like trying to keep them in the, you know what I mean? Herd the cattle or herd the sheep or whatever. Yeah, man. I'm digging this <laughs> stuff, man. This is good trash. We're going to we're gonna have to, I'm, I mean, I'm up, this is up in my game a little bit, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Articulating the things that, things that need to make sure and be done. I, I love it. So uh, what are you up to these days, my man? Where you at, and what are you up to these days, Caleb? Yeah, so I'm uh, been a PayPal for yeah, you can talk uh, over two years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, no, head of security for the CEO PayPal. Woo. So I've uh, been been working with the team to to develop, and and this has been my first formal corporate experience. So it's been an amazing opportunity to learn from uh, some very skilled skilled professionals, uh, skilled. In the corporate environments, you know, it's it's a completely different game. Different animal. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely, and and it's it's been great uh, to be able to learn and grow as a professional, as a person, but also you know to just be able to watch the corporate machine work and see how how the different you know pieces fit together. You know, I spent a long long portion of my career in the family offices with ultra high net worth. Uh, you know, individuals, and and that was a completely different different beast you know, than the corporate end of things. Yeah. And then both were different from the celebrity end of things that I started my career with. You know, so very yeah. different slices of the pie. That uh, you know, with IPSB identified the five different slices of the you know of the protection pie or whatnot, and. Mm-hmm. I'd really never taken a look at it and looked at the distinct differences, but that's one of the big things that makes me grateful for the IPSP is because they really put it out there that, that there are relevant skill sets between the different slices of the protection pie. Okay. But there are very real skills that you need to learn for each and every each one, of, one them. of those slices of that pie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yep. Yo, yep. Just off the top of your head, do you know those five slices? So my chance. Uh, like I, I, I like I could bumble through them, but you know what I mean? Like, what do we got, man? We got like right. uh, high threat, okay. celebrity, corporate, family office. And then uh, the fifth one is the uh, religious figures, Yeah. Uh, church, church security and, and everything like that. Uh, go. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's that that's, uh, the, that's the current relevant one. But it's it's amazing to see that, you know, obviously the protection threat runs right through the middle of the pie and it touches on each of the five slices. But what I like is taking a look at it, you know, what it takes to be successful, what it took for me to be successful as a practitioner in the celebrity realm was far different than it was in the family office realm, right? Yes. Family office realm is completely, completely different uh, as far as, as needs structure. You know, obviously there's threats and they fluctuate over time, but but what is needed to be successful in those is different from the corporate environment. Corporate environment presents unique challenges just because there's, you know, governance and, you know, risk and all the different players have to learn to work together with the players and still be able to put a, you know, a functional product together for the principal and, uh, you know, obviously staying relevant. Right. Like there's seriously something 
for everybody. Like, I just feel like people get, they hear, they see, they're like, yeah, executive protection. And they like, are thinking about celebrities. I'm like, guys, this is like a vast, it's a very vast, this, our field is so vast. There's so much here, you know, there's so many compartments, you know, so many approaches, you know, and um, there's no like right or wrong. It's more like what's appropriate for the situation dictates tactics, <laughs> you know? So, you know, Definitely. I, I uh, you know, I like to expose it like, hey, man, there's a lot more out there than just rolling with a celebrity. Um, there's a lot, a lot more out there, you know, and you got to be sure. into, well, like the celebrity thing takes a certain type of person who's into that and down to do that. You know what I mean? Yep, uh, yep. And the and religious figure. What you're good at. Yeah, exactly. And then working for a religious figure. This is also another one like it takes a certain type of person. You need to understand the dynamics and the politics and all these things actually relative to all these corporate same thing. You got to understand the social dynamics and the, you know, the moves to survive. Otherwise, you're tripping, falling it up in HR's office. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yep. No, exactly. Exactly. I dig it, man. So CoPro. What would you say about CoPro if you're going to give someone like an introduction to it? I think CoPro is the most misunderstood style and protection in the industry. Oh, okay. I honestly do. Okay, I dig that because I know it's like cool uh, right now. It's like ninja oh, for sure, yeah. and so. it is, and 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 it is. Over the last ten years, it has it has been such a major part of my life. You know, taking and I first started started you know working low pro details you know in two thousand eight two thousand nine when mm. when I was on the East Coast okay. and working low pro you know was super difficult you know and it started it started my my thought process of trying to develop a better way of actually being able to mitigate the threat. Okay. But not being the elephant in the room, right? right. Then 2010, I moved to uh, went back to West Coast. Uh, I was in starting the Silicon Valley, and uh, went to Ivor's SD course, mm-hmm. and just completely fell in love with the SD concept. Just okay. took and and started absorbing it, and then implementing it in daily ops. You know. Soon after that, uh, I, you know, transition became, became the client, if you will, and was, was tasked with taking and finding a better way to provide protection for the principal without impacting their Silicon Valley lifestyle. Uh And so I took and I presented this, this, this slideshow to my, to my CSO at the time. And, uh, he saw the slideshow and he said, all right make a decision. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, make a decision right now. Do you want to, do you want to keep being detail leader and doing what you're doing? Or do you want to take this and and run with it? And I was like, well, I'm just presenting this as a proof of concept. I wasn't aiming to quit my job. He's like, Hey, Marines are dying. You got to make a decision. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I took that original presentation. I said, all right, let's do it. (laughs) From that moment on, my life was, was engrossed in figuring out a way to provide executive protection that was not your traditional model. And Mm. it, it was an amazing journey with amazing partners, you know, we're closely um, with Ivor to take the SD concepts, 
evolve it into into the uh, you know what eventually uh, we, we called CoPro, and uh, really take and make it a usable and sustainable concept. Mm-hmm. When I first started looking for other examples, I couldn't find anybody in the U.S. that was you know doing it full time. You know, and and you know Christian West and AS Solution um, had, had been, you know, doing this on, on different details in Europe and, and working on having the, you know, low pro and, yeah, the cover protection style, but nobody had taken it from the client's perspective and, and made it sustainable for day in, day out ops. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- you know, one person details are a lot different than having a full team of cove pro. And I quickly found that out. And so I began conversations with everybody that would listen or talk to me, you know, and it was, it was, it was very difficult. (laughs) What would you say? Is it possible to do Cove Pro with one or two man details? Interrogative. All right. So (laughs) break it down for you, boy. I'm saying that I've been wondering about how this could work. Essentially think of Cove Pro as a combination of skills, right? And real quick, Cove Pro, covert protection. Covert protection, yeah. Just we, for all we, y'all out there, we're not that we cool. It, that's what it means. We call it protective surveillance in the early years because my CSO came to me and said, hey, what do you want to call it? And I was like, well, covert protection sounds cool, but yeah. it sounds too tactical. You know, we're in Silicon Valley. We try to try to make everything more palatable, you know? Yeah, and we started calling it protective surveillance. Well, we found the word protective surveillance or the, the, the title really mm-hmm. makes everybody focus on the surveillance piece and not the protection. Right. And so the difference between, you know, CovePro and the other styles of protection really boils down to being able to respond and mitigate a threat without looking like that's what you're doing. Okay. We're not trying to hide, right? <clears throat> trying to to you know be the ghost in the corner all the time. We're trying to take and and be in a position to where we look like a normal part of the protectees environment, uh-huh. but we're close enough to actually be able to mitigate the threat. And okay. that was was the piece of of the puzzle that was extremely difficult uh, because people. Me, you know, coming from the celebrity environment, I was used to being on body with the principal, being close enough to where something happened, we were able to reach out and touch somebody, right? Yep. Respond mm-hmm. and, and get that AT&T and going. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and we found out quickly when we were running, uh, you know, field training scenarios that anytime we'd have a, a, a an AOP, you know, attack on principal drill. Mm-hmm. In the, in the early days, we weren't able to mitigate the threat. And so what we started to do was focus on uh, what, I, what I call the CoPro bubble. And that bubble. is focus on the area around the principal, okay. insulating that area rather than just insulating the principal. So that oh. CoPro bubble, you know, we have our traditional circles of security. But why I like to call it a bubble is because that bubble will expand and contract Based on the nature of the threat, okay. based on the proximity of the uh, you know principal to potential threats, obviously mm-hmm. it's going to change with your threat environment. There's mm-hmm. so many variables, but it's a bubble that expands, it contracts, and it's a dynamic style of protection that requires the agents to t- think 
two or three steps ahead of the principal. Because you think with traditional executive protection, I'm able to talk to my principal and say, where are you going? What are you doing? How are you going to get there? Because I'm facilitating those logistics, all, right? All moves, yeah. CoPro, you don't necessarily have that communication with the principal. So you have to insulate the area around them. And sometimes if, if they're safe, you can back off as far as is, is appropriate. But if there's potential risk, you have to constrict down and be closer than might necessarily be comfortable. <clears throat> but if you don't constantly adjust it, you're not doing CoPro. You're not being effective. You're not effectively mitigating the threat of the principal. Mm. So you can lose your kind of relevance, not relevance, but your kind of you can lose your tactical like potency if you're not adjusting you have to be taking that feedback from your environment you have to be adjusting relative to those factors of threat level and the unknowns that are in that space and things like this so adapting and predicting i i know we can't predict the client's movements but hmm. understanding a principal's lifestyle is how we're able to adjust and mitigate the threats based on our understanding so they're going to change their mind all the time. They're going to change yeah. where they're going. Oh, yeah. But better we know the principle, the more we know about them, the more we can anticipate, right? So if we, if we know, for instance, that oftentimes they like to work out, yeah. we can anticipate that and build that into the probabilities of where they will likely go next. Okay. Now, obviously, having a direct line of communications with, with the, with the principal is uh, ideal, you know, and, and yeah. originally when I designed the team, it was designed to be work in a, in conjunction with the traditional EP team. Uh, it's, it's, it's effective in both, both styles, if you will. Okay. But having, but by and large, it is much more effective if you can actually have somebody an over EP agent, on body with the principal, you know, yeah, like rolling with them. Exactly. Feeding the information to the co-pro team, because then you have the best of both worlds, you know, yeah. then you're able to mitigate the threat, but you have the early warning system of co-pro knowing if anything enters the environment around them. Yeah. That's interesting. Like a concern or, okay, 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 okay. I dig it, man. That's interesting. Uh, strengths and weaknesses of the model. So CoFro's biggest weakness, obviously, is you don't have that direct line of communication with the principal. So okay. oftentimes, you can have the tendency of, of being too far away yeah. to mitigate a threat. Okay. Uh, the strength is, is we're able to effectively mitigate risk while facilitating the principal's lifestyle. So they're okay. able to live their lifestyle, do their thing. We're not changing. We're not asking them to change anything about what they do. We yeah. are we are 100% adapting to their lifestyle. And, and all of the principles that I've worked and discussed this with and consulted with on different teams mm -hmm. have loved it. They've loved okay. it because they want to do their thing. You know, oftentimes principles, especially Silicon Valley, where I've been for a long time, they want to live their lifestyle. They want to do their thing. And they don't want security to tell them what to do. Right. So risk acceptance becomes a significant part of what we have to do is select, all right, where will the <clears> risk <throat> most likely come from? We're not necessarily going to be able to mitigate all the risk. And we have to be honest with them. Again, in that yeah. identify the expectations. We have to be honest with them and say, all right, you make that decision to you know go to that location. 
I can't guarantee you that we're going to keep you safe. But right. and that's always the are, case, even with somebody on body. It's like exactly. we still can't mitigate all exactly. the risk, yo. We can do the best we can. Yeah, precisely. But finding that fine line, you know, between risk mitigation, risk acceptance, uh, is is key. But it also, you know, raises the the stakes for your. Uh, you know, RTVAs and identifying where your actual risk is coming from. Because if you have an, an accurate risk, threat, and vulnerability assessment that mm-hmm. is constantly updated, you know, based yeah. on the changing lifestyles and ability of the client, you know, exactly, then you're able to focus on the areas that are higher risk to them or that you can actually mitigate, you know. Mm-hmm. So having that ability to dynamically shift with the changing nomenclature of the client's lifestyle mm-hmm. is, is, is key to CoPro. And that's the biggest area that people have messed up when, when they've tried to develop a CoPro team. Mm. Very interesting, man. Very interesting stuff. Now, do clients generally, well, I guess it's probably client dependent, but do you guys execute this program without the client knowing who all's on the team? Or is it one of those things where it's like, uh, my guy's in the corner of the gym pretending like he's doing abs or like my guy's in the corner of the ice cream shop, you know, like, or is it like the client really just doesn't know who's who in the zoo and he's just like kind of going about his life and he's got like one guy on the EP team that he like has a direct line. How do you work that? Yeah. That's, that's the beautiful thing about Cove pro is Uh it is, it is scalable. It is adaptable. You can take whatever, whatever the client's risk is, whatever the client's desires are, you can adjust accordingly, right? So if, if you're working in an environment to where the client doesn't want to know who the, who the protection team are, yeah, you can take and deploy you know, assets accordingly. And the client knows they're there. They know they're around, but they don't necessarily know who they are, right? Mm-hmm. As, long as, as long as the line of communication with the principal is ensuring that that is the expectation of there the principal. Okay, we're back. Then, <laughs> you know, circles right back to the three principles. You know, yeah. knowing what their expectation is will dictate how we deploy those resources. And uh, the scalability of CoPro is one of its biggest strengths because okay. you know, I, I manage a, a large team. I've seen uh, teams that are now developing to even larger uh, scales than, than even, even I managed before. Um, and I've, I've seen it up in a small team environment as well, you know, and the, mm-hmm. and the biggest, the biggest key to remember is what is the principal's expectation? How yeah. can you meet that expectation with what you have, you know, because the budgets for a co-pro can be astronomical, you know, it, it can be an incredibly expensive proposition, Okay. but you can also scale it. If the client is really willing to accept risk and they just want somebody to watch their back when they go to coffee in the morning. Yeah. And it's a far more palatable, you know, price structure. That's mm-hmm. all going to be dependent on whoever the decision maker is and how they're able to structure that structure that conversation with the protectee. Okay, solid. I dig it. What would you say about we're talking about providing solutions before the client knows exactly uh, what the problems are? We had something in here about providing solutions to clients. Definitely. Yeah, you got. So, what was that about, man? So all of your clients are, are good at what they do, right? Okay. They are the best version of them. Most likely you're, you're, you're protecting. I mean, I know of a couple uh, anomalies, but in yeah. general, your, your protectee is not a protector, right? 
So they understand what they're facing. They understand their world. So the more we can take and understand their world, their environment, their likes, their dislikes, their lifestyles, the more we can understand that, the more we can take and shape a custom program around their lifestyle that facilitates their lifestyle, but insulates them from the risks that they might not even know exist, right? around the principle yeah is, is key and and identifying and and mentioning things to them you know yeah. i've had conversations with with my, you know my principals in the past where i've talked to them and said hey just so you know you know there is this risk from from this that you might you know want to consider mitigating if you want to we can do this this and this you don't even have to worry about it you know We'll and bring the coffee to the room. Yeah, I'm saying. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it might be, you know, identify the risk, but also bring with it a way to mitigate or accept that risk, you know, and, awesome. and being fine with that is also key. A lot, of, a lot of people try and force it on the principal. And at the end of the day, if the principal wants to do something, mm-hmm. they're going to do it. And, and it is what it is, you know. All we can do is inform them, be a resource for solutions for them and then insulate them the best we can. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Now that's solid game. Understanding, understanding their lifestyle, understanding the stuff they're going to do. Cause they all have non-negotiables too. Like, yo, I'm getting my coffee from my favorite coffee place. <laughs> this was going to, yeah, we're going in yep. here. You go with me or you're not going to, you know? So <laughs> how can we facilitate these things in a safer manner and solve these problems before the client even is really going to put themselves in that harm's way to get there and get it done. I love it, man. Right. That's- of a solid game. Um, I think another thing uh, that is kind of relevant for us to hit on is the Silicon Valley life, man. Like I've had some guys that go down there, they work and it's, it seems like it's a different beast. I personally don't know anything about it. <laughs> you know, What would you say the culture is like down there with regards to EP? Um, what's the game like down there, man? The culture of of EP life in Silicon Valley is being 100% adaptable because with innovation comes change. Right. Silicon Valley is the center of innovation of the world, right? They're constantly looking for ways to do things better, to do things more efficient, to be a better version of whatever it is that they're making money off of, you know? With that understanding of what the clients are like, we have to shape our lifestyle, our expectations, our, you know, protection plans to that lifestyle, right? We can't just say, this is, this is how protection is done. This is how we're going to do it for you because they'll say, okay, good meeting you. See you later. Right. We can do it the way we want it. Have a nice day. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. You know, it's like when I moved, when I moved to Hollywood, you know, I was was 160 pounds soaking wet in the shower. Right. Okay. Okay. Got to Hollywood and everybody's like, Caleb, I like you, but you're too small, man. Yeah, this happened to me too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. It happened to me, bro. I'm like, I'm fine. Like, leave me alone, man. I know, right? I, I just got the Marine Corps. I'll throw you over my shoulder. We'll run a few miles and we'll see the head. Exactly. It was cool. yep. I was like, yep. leave me alone. They're like, yeah, but you need to gain like 20 pounds. I'm like, all right. Exactly. <laughs> so I bodybuilt 10 years. You know, yeah. I got up to 75. 
I was I was big, right? Yeah. Then I moved to Silicon Valley, and they're like, Caleb, I like you, but you're too big. You know, you scare yeah. everybody, right? Right, right, right? Smile, dude. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Smile. Don't be so, you know, aggressive looking, right. you know? And, and, and that is a perfect example of, you know, I'm not going to go lose a bunch of weight just because the principal, you know, tells me to. Right. But at the same time, there's ways that I can I can change my wardrobe, change my you know appearance, change how I play I the game. Exactly, just yeah. so that I'm not making anybody feel uncomfortable, you know. Exactly. And and especially in the corporate environment where I'm at right now, you know, mm-hmm. some people when they're when they're being awesome, they're like, "Oh, you're around. Should I be scared?" And my, and my common answer is, "Ah, I'm around. So you you should feel safe." You know, exactly. And it, it becomes a little joke, but. Culturally, from an EP's perspective in Silicon Valley, we have to make them feel good about having us around. Make yeah. them make them associate our presence with peace of mind, rather yeah. than rather than you know, oh, these guys are around the, the ninjas must be jumping out of the helicopters now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because especially with incidents, you know, like San Bruno and, and different incidents that have happened in recent years. Yeah, people are scared. People want their risks mitigated, and and they're more security friendly, uh, in my opinion, than they've ever been. Yeah, EP in the Silicon Silicon Valley has grown exponentially over the it's last like five years. Yeah, it is man. crazy the right now. There are so many opportunities, and anybody who's willing to step up their game and do what it takes to be qualified enough can find a job in Silicon Valley. But you yeah. have to be able to be adaptable. You have to, you know leave a lot of the gruffness behind, you know, yeah. you, you have to be able to learn to speak, you know, the, the language of Corporate. tech rather than, tech. you know, <laughs> Raja this, Raja that, you know, whatever it might be, yeah. you know, you have Same. to, you have to learn that. And that's, that's where a lot of people who have been doing a, the same thing for 20 years and they've been the top of their game and they've been the best at what they did. They come to Silicon Valley and they're like, well, I'm the top, the top tier yeah, and the pedigree the Valley and the clients like, yeah, bye. I don't want you. You know, I'm uncomfortable around you, you know, <laughs> and it, if you're not comfortable, you know, setting your ego aside and saying, guess what? This is not about me. It's yep. about the protectee. Yep. If you're not comfortable doing that. You're not going to fit in Silicon Valley because they have, they have no reason to have you around. If you're, <laughs> if you don't accommodate their lifestyle. Yeah. That's awesome. On one hand, it's like very much what we do. You know what I mean? Like I'm starting to see these threads, you know, these commonalities, you know, like cultural equity being ridiculously important. No matter where you're working and what your culture is, that trash will keep you alive. You know what I'm saying? Like you could be MacGyver. You could be, you know, the Navy SEAList of the yeah i mean delta force is of the combat blue ribbon heaven yeah i mean like but if you can't gain any cultural equity in that environment you're gonna die it is a matter of time you're not getting paid you're just not you will starve yeah you'll starve (laughs) exactly exactly and being able to absorb the culture without changing who you are like we were talking about at the beginning you need to be you this is true but at the same time all of us have rough edges that we can work on chipping at, right? There's yeah. always improvement that can be done if mm-hmm. we're mentally in the game enough to, to, to focus on what we can do, you know? 
Yeah. You're not going to change who you are. You shouldn't change who you are, you know, yeah, because yeah. you're just going to fake it. That's false. Don't do that. It's going to be disgusting. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But be your version. Use the right tackle. Use the right bait. Use the right ghillie suit. You know what I mean? Put the right stuff on, you know? Play right. the game. Get good at the game. Win the game. You know what I mean? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> what would 100%. We- you know, this is this is what I think it's just intelligence. It's just social intelligence. Don't be false, but uh, do your version. And people appreciate it when they see you trying to value, no matter what culture it is, you know, they see you try to use their language, try to respect their culture and things like this. It does nothing but help you gain rapport even if you do it wrong. <laughs> you know, exactly. sometimes. Exactly. You're not chauvinistic exactly. about it, you know. Right. Um, 100%. That's interesting. That's very interesting. We are a direct representation of the people we're protecting this is true and that is something that you know while you say it in ep school and we think about it on occasion yeah the people see you enter the room with your protectee if you're representing a different value set or you know image or something other than what it is that the principal is trying to communicate in that meeting then you become a distraction rather than an asset to what the principal is trying to do yeah. So that's something to think about, you know, it's, it's a Mohawk may be appropriate in Hollywood, but is it necessarily appropriate in the corporate boardroom? I mean, I would, I would argue in some cases that it is, but yeah. understanding why it is, why it isn't, what, what behaviors are acceptable are not acceptable is clutch. Yeah. That's awesome. Social dynamics. That, mm. That's good. That's a good little taste. You know, it's a good little taste, <laughs> man. It's like the Mecca corporate culture figure it out don't go down there thinking you're the business um and then really you just in this game you got to keep the cup half full man because if that cup's full you can't put nothing in it that's how i like to say it you know um what would you say about education so education for me has been a double-edged sword uh like i mentioned earlier i quit school when i was 13 and that was out of necessity to uh to work and you know pursue pursue my goals at the time a real uh, education <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm just messing around i did right right yeah. i mean quite literally you know yeah, yeah no, right. at 13 my education was so limited life yeah life right <laughs> and so i lived a school of hard knocks for many years mm-hmm. but i had a client in philly who said caleb i like you but you need to get an education Okay. And right, here we go. I yeah, I took those those words to heart. And okay. uh, the other thing he challenged me with was, you know, to have a five year plan. And uh, he asked me what my five year plan was, and I said, well, my five year plan is to be an EP. And he's like, well, you're an EP. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> I have that to go. Realize, yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, but that made me realize that success today is not necessarily what success is going to look like tomorrow. And the different seasons in my in my life in, in the protection industry have evolved drastically in some cases, but education has been a perfect example of that evolution because I started up school when I was 29 and I haven't stopped since. Uh, I have two, two classes left uh, to finish up my master's. And mm, congrats. Thank you. Finding that education, pursuing that education, figuring out how to pay for that education has uh-huh. been as a civilian, as a civilian, yeah. out of out of my own pocket. Uh, you know, paying paying as I've gone uh, with you know help from clients here and there. Uh, thankfully, in some in some cases, yeah, uh, you can justify. Right <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, you know, but 
but by and large coming out of my own pocket uh, has been a significant investment of time and resources, you know, and hey, over the years, you know, it, it'll be, well, I, I've kept track, you know, of, uh, on a, on an Excel spreadsheet of the, the training that I've paid for over the years. And I'm right at $193,000 in security specific training uh, over, over the years, you know, since I worked first work security type of deal, you know, that's, and Man. Nobody paid. Nobody paid for me. That for me. Nobody, you know, took and said you need to go to these schools. You know, it was it was a constant progression of training oh. to be able to be the professional that I wanted to be. Oh, it was a grind. I, I at Heck some yeah. points I put a hundred percent of my earnings into into training so that I could you know make it to the next step. I left ESI with forty three dollars in my pocket. I didn't even know how I was going to get gas to get home. So. What would you say was the fruit of this learning, this educational endeavor? How have you seen it? So if someone's listening and they're like, yo, this dude's almost dropped $2,000 into his education. How do you validate that expense? So uh, there's, there's a couple different ways you can validate it. Um, yeah, man. I think just, just becoming the professional that I wanted to be mm-hmm. has been how I validated it, right? Yeah. My goal, uh, when I was 30, I, I made the decision that I wanted to pursue uh, the steps that I could take to be a chief security officer of a Fortune 50 company by the time I was 50 years old. Mm-hmm. And we've gone over my background. I don't have one, yeah. right? The, you look at and what I did when I was 30 was I looked at LinkedIn profiles of all of the Fortune 50 CSOs. And I saw you know military, law enforcement, and a whole ton of education on there, right? And so I made the decision to start pursuing everything that I could. Obviously, I'm not gonna have a federal background, right? I'm too old. But I can pursue other points on their resumes and develop myself as a professional to try and glean and learn what they've learned throughout the years. And so I, I literally took those top 50 CSOs and I used that as my template for my path forward. You know, I'm nine and a half years later and I'm, I'm still pursuing it. I'm still learning. I'm learning from my current CSO in every way that I possibly can, you know, uh, taking and absorbing that into my lifestyle has, has been transformational for me. Transformational. So yeah, man, I love it. I love it. Cause I, yo, the rock said it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just such a bro. Sometimes I'm just such a like knuckle dragger grunt sometimes. But I was in the gym the other day and I was listening to Dwayne Wade. He was like, and then he got it from one of his other buddies. But anyways, the quote is perspective dictates performance. You know what I mean? Like, yo, we make our lives by the decisions we make. You want to make higher quality decisions. You got to get higher quality information. Now it's the information age. You got no excuse. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, you know, I feel the same way about education that it's like the cornerstone that shapes the lens through which we demonstrate our value and by which we make decisions. And, you know, like the value you get from being able to educate yourself in this journey you've gone on. It's honestly, in my opinion, it's just like, it's unquantifiable. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, exactly. You know, exactly. You're in a position of, you're in a, you're in a position of power. You're, you're in a position running things for a high power detail in the Mecca of our industry. You know what I mean? Like you, 
you you get a self-confidence that you you know you know what you know if you're smart you know what you don't know but you know what you know <laughs> you know what i mean like and i think i think that knowing what you don't know i think is is key because the more oh, yeah. the more i learn the more i realize, realize. <laughs> the less i know yeah right? man and it's yeah that's the truth and when i'm in a room with yeah. the top decision makers in the world mm-hmm. i'm not in the room because of my brain right, right. I'm, I'm there because <laughs> i have a specific duty to protect right a specialist yeah in, in my head I'm still that ghetto little kid from Washington State, right? Right behind you, bro. <laughs> right? And in my mind, all I'm trying to do is learn and absorb so that I can represent the principle well, right? Yeah. Without, you know, the more, the more education I get, the yeah. more I realize that it's not about me, right? All that yeah. information is doing is helping me understand how to better facilitate the needs and the lifestyle of the principal and knowing what is taught at top schools is what is allowing me to better understand what the principal's expectations are and, and the context behind everything that they do. And that's really the biggest value that education has brought to me. You know, I mean, the different schools that I've attended have provided completely different ends of the spectrum. You know, the international security graduate program, really drilled down on the policy development and, you know, quantitative and qualitative differences in decision-making processes. When I first started the program, I didn't know the difference between quantitative and qualitative. qualitative. I literally Googled it. You <laughs> hey, know? And there's no shame in that. Right? Learning, right? But right. understanding those differences and how to implement it in the decision-making process, in the right. policy process, really helped me contextualize what it was that the principal was trying to do so that I could better adapt my, my performance based on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Master's program I'm in currently is amazing, amazing, just deep knowledge of the international stage and different cultures and, you know, the different, you know, governments and and the way, you know, security impacts different governments. And so it's really, you know, especially this year to where it's been nonstop, you know, international travel, really helped me understand the key elements and context from even other government officials as you know we've met with them and seen them and whatnot so it's it's been an amazing process most difficult thing i've ever done in my life uh take a take a non-academic and put them in an academic environment and i'm i spent 60 hours on one final, you know, just didn't sleep a wink, just, just stayed Bro. up and <laughs> pre-workouts all the way through it. You know? yeah, use your tools, man. No, I'm right there with you, bro. I'm always the last guy leaving the class with uh, <laughs> yeah. the last guy taking the test. I just, you know, and for me, like for me, when I got out of the military, I got, you know, I got like a free ride. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I did the military yeah. thing. But that's not a free ride. You earned that, brother. <laughs> thank you. That's ride. true. That's true. <laughs> but like, yeah, man, like, you know, I've just finished my master's and I like last month. And I'm like, for me, it's just this little victory of like, I um always was scared of school. Dude, I went to the Marine Corps because <laughs> I was like, I ain't doing this no more. I gotta get out of here. I'm going to I will fight in that war in Iraq before I will do any more school. And, totally. and for me it was like a huge psychological thing, you know, and then killing the things that I fear. And like I still read slow, bro. I barely make it through the captions at the bottom of the movie. You know what I'm like, and, and numbers and letters still, you know, like so uh 
No, I totally feel you on that. But like, man, there's just so much to say for the guy that doesn't give up, man. Like everyone hears it and they hear it all the time and that, 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 and no one really takes it seriously. But when you, when you, like someone looks at you, they're like, man, he's a successful high powered dude made it in the private security industry. But you know, you said it, you're like, I'm just a little ghetto boy from Washington. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, I'm right there with you, dude. I grew up in Washington, too, but I'm, like, just a little dude. Like, I was, like, a little fat kid in Washington. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. The only thing I feel like, like, guys like us have done right is, like, I've been mediocre enough to know I got to work really hard to get good results, and I just yep. kept on freaking going. You know what I mean? Like, if I've yep. gotten anywhere, that's how I freaking got there, you know? So oh, Exactly, exactly. And and one of the professors uh, during the one of the graduate programs said something that, that has stuck with me and pretty much transformed my team and that I was managing at the time. And that was fail often to succeed sooner. Hey, and yeah, man, that's good. I have, I have, I've taken that to heart because I no longer look at failure as a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've gone around, around with people on this, especially in the EP community with you know failure where you can't fail you know you can't fail because if you fail it reflects bad on the principle you know but i'd rather have a thousand small failures that i learn from that i grow from that i develop from than breezing through everything and not having those failures and then having a big failure that really melt right yeah exactly you know and and if we're not constantly learning if we're not constantly pushing the envelope if we're not constantly looking at you know what the boundaries of possibilities are then a we're not going to innovate as ep practitioners b we're not going to stay relevant because guess what the industry is moving forward whether or not we move forward with it or not right and c everybody is going to see that you are a becoming a dinosaur incrementally yeah and we're going to see the writing on the wall exactly (laughs) exactly yeah, exactly. Man. And, and having the mentors that have, that have kicked me when I needed it the most uh-huh. has been the difference between success and failure for me, you know, because I have three mentors yeah. that have been brutally honest, that have, that have, you know, raked me over the coals at times yeah. with the areas that I needed to improve in and a difficult process for sure. But those failures learning from them and absorbing the solutions from those, you know, my heroes in the industry mm-hmm. is what really has allowed me to continue to grow and stay relevant to the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have survived without my mentors, man. Like, like, like I, my first detail, I just wouldn't have made it. <laughs> you know, and I saw yeah, a lot of guys sure. not make it, you know, uh, if I wasn't yep. humble enough to be like, what's really going on here? You know, like, man mentorship i believe is real important in this game it's real important in this game it's talked about so much but oftentimes in ep specifically mm-hmm. our egos become so catastrophically huge because <laughs> you're standing next to the to the principal right you're standing right. next Who's to the important the zoo? Yeah. gal or guy and you're like ah, i'm important i'm next to them and so your ego just right mm-hmm. and and that client you know, contact high mm-hmm. that Client happens to so many high. people it happens to so many people in the industry and you see it. Mm-hmm. And unless we're able to take and recognize that, you know, guess what? I'm still that ghetto little kid from Spokane. Right. I have to keep it real. I have to yeah. keep it real. I have to learn. I have to be real with myself 
so that I can do what it is that I need to do rather than try to focus on, you know, the, the, the fluff that enters our head when you're around those, those amazingly smart people. <laughs> yeah. The phantoms, you know what I'm saying? You start thinking yeah. your success is your success. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I dig exactly. it. And, it can happen. and if you're a normal person, I mean, it can, it's seductive, but that's what's up, man. Um, last question until we get into our closing questions, what would you say about the transition from a field agent into leadership? I would say it's the most underestimated transition in the industry. Uh, Our industry as a whole is so young that there's not the formal controls in our industry that you see in, you know, military law enforcement. You don't, you don't see, you know, the federal government, all three of those have formal, you know, transition processes for, you know, becoming an officer, learning how to manage, learning how to lead, learning how to delegate all yeah. those, all those transitions. I went from being an excellent agent that was well-respected, well-liked to being a horrific manager who was hated and suffered complete, complete catastrophic, catastrophic failure. failure. Oh, no, man. It, was, oh, it was the worst time of my life, you know, and it was, and it was all because I tried to manage like I followed. Huh. And without those three principles that, that we talked about, yeah, that that development phase to where I was forced, you know, my CSO brought me into the office and he said, Caleb, you have 30 days to fix it. Either we're going to give you a severance plan and you're gone, or you have 30 days to fix it. And don't kid yourself. Nobody fixes it in 30 days. And I said, hey, I'm not, I'm not a quitter, right? I realized that I'll probably lose my job in 30 days. I realized that I probably will walk away without a severance package. but I am going to do everything that I can to systematically fix my deficiencies. And that was a transformational period because uh, I started with a leadership coach. I started with my mentors, meeting with them on a regular basis. And thankfully, my CSO at the time really took, and he was one of my mentors, you know, but he took and he gave me the tools that I needed to correct the deficiencies. He introduced me to my mentors and, you know, gave me that fuel I needed to to thrust me into a position to where I could actually become you know, an improving leader rather than the failing leader that I was during those years. You know? And so I think I see it time and time in the industry. And not only is that the reason why many details are lost from a vendor perspective, yeah. but from a client's perspective, that's that's been, you know, in many cases, my biggest frustration with different vendors is there's not continuity in leadership. There is not a a secession plan that allows for aspiring agents who are are at the top of their game in the EP field to become a manager, to become a leader, to become a director, to, to, to move up that food chain and actually learn the different skill sets, you know, that, that are required to learn. And having a leadership coach was, was huge because it was, it was an hour every week that was spent grilling me on what I did, how I approached challenges, how I approached personnel issues and, mm-hmm. and different people, and really learning how to lead as a leader and be the leader that I wanted to be, but I was far from being proficient at. Man, that's huge. 
Because you just think if you're like a solid dude out in the field, of course you're going to be a solid leader. Like, of course. Like, you almost take it I had no clue. That's not always the case, man. That is very true. And we do. We'll send them off to squad leaders course. We'll send them off to corporals course. We'll send them off to these, you know, different schools that kind of instill these leadership principles and like transition your strengths as a good field guy and then teach you these new kind of way of being. This is very interesting. Very true. Uh I, I can I can see some of it right now out in a few different areas that I am in the world. And I'm like, right? <laughs> this is good, well, man. And it really boils right da- back down to the three principles that that yeah. guide me. You know, because because at whatever level you're at, yeah, allowing those three principles to dictate your actions can help us be successful. Because it works for an agent, it works for a leader, it works for a client. You know, I find it so interesting how similar leadership and uh following really are you know what i mean like i'm finding that like like as a leader you're like serving as a as someone who's following your leader you're serving and you're you're kind of leading from the front you're leading from the front lines let them know what you see you're trying to make their job as easy as possible as a leader you're like and you're trying to protect your leader and as a, as a leader you're trying to protect your followers you're serving them you're you know what i mean it's like this interesting right. <laughs> like dualistic night implies day life implies death kind of thing you know it's very that's gnarly man the best leaders are servant leaders it's this whole thing man that's what's up um let's see here favorite quote or mantra if you have one or saying we hit some good ones already today actually but yeah i mean by far uh you know fail often succeed succeed sooner is you know on every wall in my right. mind, you know, yeah. um, it, it really is, you know, something that has shaped, shaped my life. Awesome. No, I, that's, that's a good one. That might even be the title for this. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, what would you, how would you want the industry to remember you? So there's one, like how they say your name, what would you like them to say afterwards? He was a, a guy that grew up with the industry was taught by the industry and did his best to move the industry forward. Boom. I love that, man. That's good to go. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, dude, it's been really good talking with you and it's been awesome, you know, have been able to share this stuff. This is so much like quality, high quality information here, man. You know, and I know people will pick up, what's relevant to them based on where they are in their journey in the EP game. Definitely. Um, But I feel like this is one that people can come back to and really listen to at different stages as they progress and they'll see different things like, yo, I'm dealing with that right now or that could help me, you know? Um, What are you up to these days, man? Where can people find you, Caleb? Uh, All the normal places, uh, you know, LinkedIn. (laughs) LinkedIn. (laughs) I'm... I'm not a big social media media guy just because, yeah. you know, I'm actively involved in ops and, and yeah. I'm a client. I'm not, I'm not trying to sell a product. I'm mm-hmm. trying to, you know, provide a service type of deal, you know, but I'm there. I love to connect uh, to everybody. You know, my, my email, if anybody wants to reach out is epcaleb at gmail.com about as uh, straightforward easy. as you can get. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> and, man. Uh, always, always happy to help, you know, uh, anybody has any question on schools uh, or which schools, you know, are, are more conducive to the EP lifestyle, 
I'm happy to, you know, to give my opinions on that for whatever it's worth. You know, I started at the top and tried to find the best security specific school that I could and applied and was, was ready to work my way down. Um, and, uh, thankfully for some reason they accepted me, but, uh, but it's a, that's, that's what it's all about. As soon as I finish up my master's, then I'm going to burn all my diplomas and never talk about school again. <laughs> I'm right there with you, bro. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Done. I did it. Right? Oh, you need to know. It happened. Thank you. Now, will you listen to me? <laughs> I mean, like, am I smart right. enough now for you to listen to me? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh, man. That's what's up. Uh, heck yeah, dude. Well, it's been awesome, man. Thanks so much for spending this time with me, Caleb. I really appreciate you, bro. And all your Thanks content. so much for having me on. True honor. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at the uh, Close Protection Conference if you're in town, yes. if you have the, the space for yes, it. Yes, definitely. That's that's the annual event. Must see, must attend for sure. Heck yeah, brother. All right then, brother. I'll see you out there. Thanks for listening. All y'all. right. Take care. Later. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that, the lifestyle behind that. You guys are already killing it. $1 a month, $5 a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on McDonald's. Hey, you want to put it towards something that's going to good use? Put it towards a podcast and get involved in our, our Patreon account at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. And if you want to find me, that's byronrogersmotivation.com. Um, you know, do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can to that Patreon account because it makes all of these things possible, ladies and gentlemen. So much love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for making those contributions. You guys rock. We're already doing amazing there, and it's just because of you guys. So thanks once again for those contributions. Boom. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. This whole entire thing actually just started off as a Facebook group that blew up and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Uh, follow us on Instagram and check us out at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. If you want to find me, that's Byron Rogers Motivation. Com, and I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out. <laughs>